The Lifestylist, episode 136, featuring Chris Chen. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about the amp coil. And if you haven't, just listen up. The amp coil is a device I discovered some time ago, and I've been using this thing every day, doing some really fantastic things on my body. So essentially, the amp coil is using vibration and sound frequencies to get into your body, nourish your organs, and then also to detox other ones. So this technology is far-reaching and extremely powerful. It's actually the first PEMF device with customization and biofeedback voice analysis all in one machine. So what they've done is they've taken many different scientific principles that have been used over the years for these type of devices and actually put them into one machine. So that's what's cool about it. Um, there's been times where I've used these technologies in various machines and it's time-consuming and it makes any one of them not as powerful as it could be when you combine them. So you definitely want to get over to ampcoil.com or make it easy on yourself and just jump back to episode number 98 and you're going to learn everything about this. But this is the thing I'm most excited about and that's why I wanted to share it with you. All right, you guys, I've got a favorite new product to let you know about. You know I'm into the green juice by Organifi, right? Take that shit every day. Well, now I'm on to their red juice. That's right. It's a red juice powder packed with antioxidants and immune-boosting herbs. It's got reishi, cordyceps, and 11 other superfoods. So the reason I like powders like this is because they're highly concentrated nutrition that's easy to get down the gullet. So you take a big scoop of this, you throw it in some almond milk or some spring water, whatever your your uh, drink of choice is, throw it in a blender really quick, or even just stir it up with a spoon. It actually dissolves really easy. It doesn't get all weird and chunky like some powders do. And then you've got the equivalent of basically eating a giant bowl of red fruit that day. But it, I don't know, it's just got a really good taste too. It tastes like, um, I don't know, it's sort of like strawberry juice or something like that. It's got a really like red fruity juice. So it's very different than the green powder that they make, which I also like. So check out the red juice by Organifi. You can find that at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. Organifi.com forward slash Luke. And the even better part is that you save 20% off if you use our show code. And that code is, drum roll please, Lifestylist. So go to Organifi.com forward slash Luke, use the code Lifestylist and save 20% off your order of the red juice or any other product that they make. What's up, my fellow cosmonauts? I'm stoked to bring you this week's episode with Chris Chen. It was recorded in New York City, and uh, it is on fire. You're going to really dig this one, especially if you're into alternative and ancient medicines. 
It's going to be a mind blower for you. All right. Before we get into this episode with Chris, I'd like to invite you to join me next week for a monster episode with Matt Maruka, the millennial biohacker. He doesn't know that I call him that yet. He's going to find out when he hears this. But I think dude was like, I don't know, 17 or 18 or something when we recorded this also in New York City a few months ago. And uh, he's like one of the smartest biohackers I've ever met in my life. And we sat down in my hotel at the Standard, the meatpacking district, and uh, we were went literally all night. I think we went like three or four hours. It was total madness. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy that. So tune in next week for the Millennial Biohacker show with Matt Maruka. Okay. A couple upcoming events this weekend. I'm going to be speaking at Paleo Effects in Austin, April 27th through 29th. So it's your last chance to come hang out with me and a few, I think a few thousand other people into ancestral health and wellness and all of that. So you can go to LukeStory.com forward slash events to get your ticket. And here's what's up. If you're walking around Paleo Effects and you see me, don't be a shy weirdo. Come up, tap me on the shoulder, say what's up. Let's hang out. I'm going to have my recording equipment with me there, recording a bunch of shows out in Austin. So I might just throw your ass on an episode if you have something interesting to say. So definitely come say hi at Paleo Effects. All right. And then listen, in this episode and every episode to follow, especially next week's with Matt Maruka, there are going to be Tons and tons of really valuable links dropped in these conversations, and I don't want you to miss out on all of the resources. I work really hard to ask tough questions that have good answers, and I try to get you know really specific links and recommendations from the guests. So in today's show with Chris, you're going to learn that. Next week with Matt, you're going to hear tons of stuff that you can never, ever remember. I don't want you to have to screen grab, time code, try to write stuff down. So just join my damn newsletter. It's really simple. Here's how you do it on a USA phone. Text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. I've been announcing this on every damn show. You should have done it by now. If you haven't, do it right now. Open up your text and put in the number 44222 and then just simply text one word lifestylist and you'll get prompted to enter your email. If you don't have a US phone, go to lukestroy.com forward slash newsletter. If you don't want to mess around with all of that and you still want to get some value and some entertainment and education, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is very simple. It's at lukestory. Don't forget the EY. You're going to see a little picture of me wearing a funky little hat on there. You'll know it's me. I'm about to hit 30,000 followers. So help me get to that number by following me on Instagram. I do tons of really wacky stuff on my Instagram stories because frankly, I know that shit's going to disappear in 24 hours. So I do and say things on there that are totally inappropriate and probably even borderline offensive at times. So if you want to get on the action, follow me on Instagram. All right. On to our show with Chris, enough about me and my social media. Chris Chen is a licensed acupuncturist in New York City. He spent the past decade studying with Grandmaster Sung Bek, 75th Grandmaster of the Dong Han, that's Eastern Scholars Healing Clan, a Korean Taoist tradition stretching back over 2,500 years. And we talk a lot about this in the episode. Shit is like straight out of like an old school Kung Fu movie or Kill Bill or something like that. It's it's very cool stuff. Chris is advancing the application of alternative medicines within the homeopathic and allopathic realms through acupuncture, qigong, 
and advanced pulse diagnosis. Really cool stuff. So as I said, we recorded this one in New York City at the recommendation of my friend Desiree Pace from Ben Shen. I recorded with her and she's like, dude, you got to meet Chris. You got to record with this kid. He changed my life and I can see why. Now, I thought this conversation was going to be all about acupuncture, what Chinese herbs to take and all that. But we ended up covering just about every aspect of not only acupuncture, but exploring his whole lifestyle trip. He's, I wouldn't say like a biohacker because all of his stuff is really based on ancient tradition. So it's very interesting. Uh, so we talk about the following topics. The moment Chris dedicated the rest of his life to studying Eastern healing, the profound lessons that Chris has received from his teacher, the Eastern attitude toward food and how it differs from ours in the West, food as a form of data and information, nature's perfect design, the history of acupuncture and the difference between the sacred medicine and secular medicine, the body-brain connection, how you can surround Surrender to reality and still contribute in a meaningful and positive way to society. The philosophy of activism from his rather Zen point of view. When Chris almost stopped meditating, what Qigong is and what it does to you. And then finally, how pulse diagnosis works. So that's what we talk about in this here episode. As always, I encourage you to share this with someone you know and love. And without further delay or ado, I now deliver unto you Chris Chen. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, I'm excited to meet you. Excited to see you. How old are you, dude? 36. Oh, you are? You look super young. It's crazy because I was reading your bio on your site and stuff like that and just the way Desiree talks about you. I almost thought you were going to be this older older guy. Yeah, so I've been studying with this teacher for 10 years, Grandmaster Sung, and he's like probably 67 now and he looks like he's in his late 30s. And the way he can tell like who his students are and who they aren't, the ones that are doing all the exercise and like the self-discipline, they all like stay looking about the same age as they were when they started. And the ones that go there for the knowledge, but don't practice, they get, you know, we get older. So in the traditional sense, you are studying with a master then. Yeah. How did you find this guy? Totally by accident. I was a young, cocky yoga teacher in the city living my life and just like thinking that I was really embodied. So that was a good way of being. And I decided I was going to go to acupuncture school because teaching yoga only takes you so far. And I think it has, it has an expiration date. Like you're in, you know, working with people all day long and you can get tired. And I knew that I wanted to be able to do something else. And then I started acupuncture school knowing that I'd be able to manipulate people's bodies and fix back pain and shoulder pain pretty easily just by virtue of what I knew about muscles and bones. And like in the back of my mind, I always knew that there was like some deeper level of knowledge. Like there is a way to really tell like fundamentally how people think and feel and a way to like work with totally deadly diseases and actually change the course of terminal illness. And, you know, I knew that existed and I didn't think I'd ever find it. And I was happy just being who I was. And so pure dumb luck, I was working for this woman who kept telling me about her teacher. And I was like, your teacher's great. That's fine. But I already know what I'm doing, lady. Calm down. So I walked into her office one day and there was this Korean man sitting in cowboy boots and Taoist robes and a cowboy hat. And he wore the same type of Carhartts I always used to wear. And I instantly liked him because of his Carhartts. But he looked at me and he said, I've been waiting to teach you something. And I freaked out. I was like, no one teaches me anything. F you. Anyway, that day there was two patients. He took one woman's pulse who had breast cancer. He was taking her pulse with one hand and writing down all the notes with his other hand. And I could tell by how he was taking her pulse and how much he was writing down. I was like, 
oh crap, this is it. Like, this is the real deal. Like, this is the thing that, you know, you know is possible, but you never would commit to. And after 20 minutes of taking her pulse, he spent the next two hours unpacking this woman's whole life story from how her mother's condition was when she was in utero, all the way to like trauma that happened to her as a child, things that she started to break down crying and said, I've never told anybody that stuff that happened to me. What? And I was just like, had this feeling of like total excitement and total dread inside my body, knowing that no matter what, like I always thought I could be the best. But at that moment, I knew no matter how much I dedicated to it, I would never touch this, but I was committed to doing it for the rest of my life. Wow, that's a great story, dude. And, uh, I love the Asian disciplines. It's like that karate kid thing where, <laughs> you know, like you, you travel up the mountain and he lives in this little cave and he won't take any students on and then you're the chosen one. And then I think I like that even like in the yogic traditions, there's that sort of lineage, you know, mm -hmm. there was a teacher way back when and he taught this one and it was handed down to this one. And oh, those, completely. those esoteric teachings, I've always been into that. I mean, it's almost represented in Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Supposedly George Lucas had like a Taoist master helping him like when he was writing the script to like help him like with all the ritual and like the, really? you know, even the way like the lightsabers work, like there's a lot of that kind of like idea of charging a Tai Chi sword with your energy in order to fight properly with it. So wow, that, wow. Is, that idea of lineage and the way things have been passed on and legacy is, yeah, it's is cool. totally embodied in it. It's cool because I think the things that are true and real do last. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been into this health scene and stuff for a long time and I've seen so many different trends come and go and different superfoods that are like the miracle <laughs> food know. from goji berries to like, what was that mangosteen juice? And like oh, yeah. every like multi-level marketing company comes out with this new superfood. I mean, I've watched it come and go. Veganism comes and goes, paleo oh, yeah. thing. Well, I don't know if it's gone, but it came and, you know, the things that work seem to stick around. Yeah, you know? I mean, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Yeah. It's like, if it's sustainable and it actually like, and health is really this idea, like there's a lot of consumerism in it right now, but if it's going to make you feel good, you'll remember it. Like hopefully all this health stuff is just to make it so that you're more aware of what you need. I mean, all of us is born with a terminal condition called life. Right. And then in that life, like what's the only resource we're spending is time. So what are we going to do with that time, but try and really maximize the experience of it. And so we can often get swayed or like, I'm such a sucker for like the next new superfood. Like, oh yeah, this is going to make me feel great. This is going to make me great in bed. This is going <clears> to <throat> make it so I can, you know, work for 40 hours in a row. And like, you know, and I totally get carried away by that. But the things that work are the things you do every day. Like the things that ground you in your ritual of like experiencing life of like knowing that you're part of this entire cosmos and that if you step into the rhythm of it it will sustain you and you can keep being part of it i guess that's why those teachings work is they're just based on universal principles mm -hmm. that it's don't like the ultimate naturalism they never really. erode yeah <laughs> you know I mean? it's like a principle never degrades <laughs> right. down to being an untruth yeah. it's like once there's an absolute truth about anything it stands the test of time. Totally. So that's cool. So your master is a Korean dude, huh? Yeah. So what he was has been teaching you is essentially Korean Taoism. Would that be a way yeah, you would contextualize that? that? You know, Taoism in general is not something I, I know a lot about. I mean, I've read the Tao Te Ching, mm -hmm. right? Like I kind of get that, but I really don't know much about the history of like Chinese Taoism, Korean, like 
how do you break that down in a general way? It's kind of hard because if you talk to any Asian, depending on where they're from, they'll say that they're Asian. You know, Japanese Asians will be like, it came from here. Chinese Asians will say, no, 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 it came from here. And Korean Asians will say, oh, no, 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 we were the ones that invented it. And then there's like this idea of kind of like Taoism for practicing religion and organizing society versus Taoism as a way of organizing medicine and understanding nature and understanding the cosmos versus Taoism as a way of like, you know, managing a whole political system. So in that way, it's like uh, okay. Confucianism has all these like flavors of Taoism in it because it's like, well, when we organize society in this kind of hierarchy, everything works better. But the real, like, you know, in the Tao Te Ching, it starts like the Tao that can be spoken is not the real Tao. <laughs> right, right, right. I love that <laughs> shit. I love like, Speaking of Star Wars, the, the yeah. Tao Te Ching is very Yoda. You know totally. what I mean? It's like everything's backwards and <laughs> you know, in, inverted. Everything you see is there, but not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the idea of Taoism really for me, like when I see, like take the deepest parts of what my teacher teaches is really that if you look at nature, it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with your situation. So if you're here, you're here for a reason. First, you have to surrender to accept that this is how it is. And then once you totally accept that this is how it is and it's that way for a reason, then you can start to generate the awareness and the knowledge to move from that position to a different position. Right. But so it's the ultimate kind of naturalism, really. Like right. I was really into um, Tom Brown and tracker school for a while and sort of Native American ways of like, tracking food and like being one with your surroundings. And it's very similar in that way. Like every single thing leaves, you know, has a resonance and because it's resonating and you're resonating, there's some sort of common resonance and you can sense everything if you drop into it. And that's naturalism really. What are some of the more profound lessons you've received from your teacher? Oh, wow. There's so many. There's like almost this experience. I study with him once a month and it's almost like I go there and, you know, sometimes he'll be doing like Qigong and teaching us movement the whole time. Sometimes we'll be sitting on the floor for 20 hours at a time, like in lecture, just learning stuff, like almost out of a book. You know, often it'll be like some problem I've been trying to work out about how people are, like what's something about who we are as humans that I don't understand. And it's like the answer comes down and something I would have spent a whole lifetime thinking about just got answered. So I can like forget about that one and move on to the next thing. But essentially, it's really about what we're doing here. The human body, like when we're looking at health, it's pretty simple. Like you're a series of tubes that like to be filled and emptied at various intervals. And somehow that creates a meaningful existence. And then so at the very basic level, the moment you're born, we got to make sure the airway gets cleared out, your heart beats properly, and that you start breathing. And then your first instinct, and no one ever wants to remember this, is that then you like crawl up to your mother's breast and try and suck her dry. You know, and then you get weaned eventually and try and forget about that for the rest of your life. But that life, like sustaining this kinetic energy machine that's our body is actually a pretty simple mechanism in a lot of ways. We overcomplicate it with all sorts of thoughts and concepts and feelings, but really it's a series of tubes that need to be maintained and the integrity of those tubes has to be maintained in order for life force to sustain. So your lungs need to stay intact, your blood vessels need to stay intact, your skin needs to stay intact, and there needs to be just enough permeability in all of those membranes for life force to keep going. But if they're too thick or too thin, like then that balance starts to go away. And it seems kind of nihilistic to look at it that way, but it's profound in terms of like really dealing with people at a life and death level of existence. Like how do we just make sure that, you know, when somebody's really sick, that they can still take in energy and nutrition into their body. 
how do we make sure that they stay breathing, even if they don't have the neuromuscular impulse to keep their diaphragm moving? Interesting. Interesting. I like that concept of that we're sort of this collection of tubes. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, that's very true. And there's a weird thing about that too, in that those tubes, since they're closed circuits, aren't really inside your body in a sense. You know what I mean? It's like your whole digestive tract is a closed system. I mean, unless you have leaky gut, I guess, but it's separate from your insides. It's yeah, this but own it's actually, thing living it's, it's, inside it's, you. It's, it's actually trippy. a totally open system though, because like from your mouth to your anus, really, we could send a tube all the way through and it would come back right, out but again. But it's closed off to the rest of your body. Right. Yeah. You know? It's like your gut is actually on the out. It's is in the universe. And like the inside of your body is on the other side of your gut. So even right. though it's inside you, it's outside of you. Does Chinese medicine or the Taoist approach to medicine address leaky gut? Is that like an ancient thing or is that a relatively new phenomenon? Of course. You know, I think 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, like, you know, the jury's still out on when acupuncture really got codified. It's like, you know, there's tablets that say this and that, you know, but acupuncture has been around for a while. And back then, nutrition was actually the biggest problem, like not enough nutrition, people starving and not having access to the right kinds of foods or eating rotten food. You know, there wasn't refrigeration. It's like nutrition's been the problem the whole time. It's why, I mean, this is more Chinese Taoism than Korean Taoism. Like China, like the symbol is like middle kingdom. And basically it was like an agricultural society. It was based on the lunar calendar. And it was the reason it's such a rich society is from a very, like in ancient times, they figured out ways to stabilize food production. And so, you know, what to eat and what to grow and how to, heal problems through the gut has been probably the more of the primary focus of acupuncture, except to, you know, as a battlefield medicine too, to get people fighting, but more how to make sure people stay nourished and can stay healthy to keep working and building projects was, was the reason it was there. And so in Asia in general, like they have a really different attitude towards food than we do. We look at food as a way of like, our stylistic expression and democratic choice. In Asia, they look at food as like, even if they're eating the wrong thing, it's like, no, you have to eat this way. This is what we do. If you eat that way, you're like, you don't belong here. And here it's like, I always thought it was interesting when I moved to the city, it's like over a decade ago, but I was doing a lot of yoga with everybody. And like, you could sit at a table and there'd be like a vegan and a vegetarian. And like, everybody would have their own little way of eating as their own personal expression. Like, that would never fly in that culture, really. That's funny. I can picture that. Yeah, I picture like a big broth or something, you know, like a soup yeah. and then like seaweed soup or some <laughs> shit. And like, that's what everyone's eating, you know? You're not going to like go do your own yeah, thing I so mean, much. Yeah, family style eating. And, I never thought about that. You know, yeah. So it's like food is an expression of place and where you're from even. Right. But, you know, back to the gut thing, it's like the way we take in food and really, which is like, we take in nourishment. So we can look at it as like macronutrients. We need the calories in order to, you know, create these metabolic processes in order to think and feel and do whatever we're doing as humans. You know, at the same time, we can think about food as taking in information. Every food has a different flavor profile. Every, you know, and depending at what temperature you eat it, it's going to create a different effect inside your body. And as you take in all of this information, it's like you can really see, like, based on what you're eating, you can change how you're feeling and therefore change your thoughts and your way of approaching life, even. And so if you look at food as data that our body's taking in, you can almost start to see, like, it's, there's so many directions you can take this in. The first is, like, why are so many kids having learning disabilities and autism and everything else? Well, their flavors they're having just aren't varied enough and interesting enough to stimulate their brains in different ways. 
you know, the other way to look at it is like, okay, people aren't taking in a lot of flavors. They're not taking in the flavors of their surroundings. So their body's assimilating this energy that's not from the place that they're interacting in. So the energy's not synchronizing properly. That's funny. I just interviewed someone the other day and he was talking a lot about that, like uh, eating in accordance to your position on the equator. Right. You know, which you can pretty much do if you really just try to eat local. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like whatever's in season. Which is, is the, you know, how it was done until yeah, the last hundred years. Yeah. But that there's actually a deleterious effect to your health if you live in, you know... Um, Alaska and you're eating bananas in January that are imported from fucking South America or whatever, like your body doesn't understand. Like you said, food is information, right? Your right. body gets that that mm-hmm. data and that information and goes like, what? No, this is a foreign substance Absolutely. now. I mean, even see- Whereas if you lived on the equator, you could be eating coconuts, bananas, fruit, like all the carbs. Right. Yeah. You could live on glucose and get all that sun and probably be really happy, yeah. but not so much up north, you know? Right. I mean, the other way to look at it is even like the profile of how like berries come in season at this latitude you know in the beginning of the summer it's like more of like the red berries and the raspberries so like you know those reds aren't as strong antioxidants as the blueberries and the blackberries and as you go through the summer and the light gets more intense and that that level of radiation gets higher then what's around is actually handling that level of radiation so like the red berries in the earlier part of the summer let you access, like you still get enough sunlight, but you have enough antioxidants to block it. And then as the sun gets more intense, you know, because nature is a perfect design. The only reason that plant is growing there and blooming right at that time is because it's in the energy. It can't get out of it. Right. Whereas we can move and get out of the energy. And because we live inside of these cubes that are totally conditioned and our food comes wrapped in plastic, it's like, we don't have to actually take that into consideration. And it's a, I think it's a huge loss in terms of our awareness of, you know, how do we work and what are we meant to be doing? That's a really interesting concept. I never thought about even, I mean, think about things seasonally, but not in such a microscopic way that like when we're getting more solar radiation, the antioxidants that nature provides in our environment are actually become stronger. That's a trip. I was just up in Shasta. Um, I guess <laughs> That's it, was, a trip. it was summer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, dude. I went to a farm up there where I get a lot of my food. It's called Belcampo Farms. And I, nice. I, I wanted to get a closer relationship with not like all the food I eat is from there, but most of it is like meats and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they have this really super, super ethically humane beyond organic farm sounds so, awesome yeah it was cool so i really i was a vegetarian for 10 years and i stopped just because it just i just couldn't do it anymore i just didn't feel i, just, I, did, it, I, was just, I did it for three i was weak sauce i just couldn't i don't know, it didn't work for me for a number of reasons we don't have time to go into but i just have always felt like if i eat meat i should be able to like go hunt i should be able to see a slaughterhouse like i really want to have that experience and see if consciously I can still do that. And so I went, I went to the slaughterhouse. I did the whole thing. I mean, I didn't kill anything myself, but saw the whole process. And um, anyway, the point I was getting to is while I was up there, I got to do something I did when I was a little kid. Well, two things actually, and that is I went and collected spring water from the headwaters of the Sacramento river, which was, I never, I find springs wherever I go. I mean, if I had a car in New York, I would find a spring upstate or something. So I went and got some spring water and then I spent like half a day collecting blackberries. Nice. Just wild blackberries, dude. You talk about like, you know, that dark pigment and antioxidant. Mm-hmm. It's hot as shit. So it's like nature goes, here you go. It was really fun because there was um, actually springs running through the blackberry patches. Oh, nice. So they were like spring fed blackberries and there was like, <laughs> there was a lot of bears around. So there's like bear dung all over. And I was just like having a wild human experience, you know, getting like 
scratched up and bloody and just like digging right. in. You know, I, I came home with like a huge bucket of them and, and I ended up eating them for about a week. But uh, there's something really magical about wild foraging and, you know, getting food from nature, whether that be a fish or, you know, berries or whatever. Yeah. And, but I didn't, I didn't make that connection. It was like, oh yeah, it was really hot. We're out in the blazing sun. It's like, there's not a cloud in the sky. So it's probably naturally, that's why I sat there and ate like a pound of those things while I'm out there. And they and, cool you off when you eat them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm drinking spring water and like having that experience. That's really cool. So, you know, I definitely wanted to cover some of the diet and food stuff, but that is also something I'd talk about a lot on the show. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know more about acupuncture specifically. There was a time years ago in one phase where I was attempting to deal with some reoccurring back pain that I've had forever, basically. And I lived in Koreatown in LA. And so there's acupuncture clinics like all over. And I had, I was in the entertainment industry. So I had this like union insurance from the industry and, and it covered acupuncture. You got like 30 or 50 visits a year. So I was like, I'm not going to let that shit go to waste. So I just would go to acupuncture all the time. (laughs) Acupuncture junkie. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, and I liked it. At least the guys I went to, for whatever reason, it didn't really cure the issue with my back, which who knows, maybe it's like structural or probably a combination of that and some inflammation. Cause this is the time I was, a, I was a vegetarian. I was very inflamed as a result of uh, that diet. But one thing that always happened is I got super blissed out and just passed out so hard. They put me on the table and I'd be like, ah, ah, I'd kind of feel the needles go in. And then it's like, <laughs> I would wake up, you know, an hour and they would, in the places I went, they would leave you there and just be like, okay, bye. And I don't know how long I was out, but I would just like, I'd have headphones on listening to like spiritual audiobooks and stuff. And I would come to, and I was like, oh my God, I needed that. It was almost like, I wonder, have you ever looked, does it create a certain brain state? Like, do you go into a theta brainwave yeah, situation absolutely. or whatever? I mean, okay, it cool. doesn't always happen, but that's like, that would be the goal. Cause even if you don't know what you're doing acupuncture wise, if you can get someone to take a deep breath and relax a little bit, their body already knows what to do. Right, right. You know, and so it's like, well, a specific problem it didn't fix that specific problem of the back pain. That's, you know, maybe there's something else going on, but it did relax you enough to give your body some rest and like probably help your immune system and help you relax and, you know, just restore yourself a little bit. The goal, I mean, obviously the goal in acupuncture is to cure you, but, you know, curing you from what? Right. So what's the basic gist with it? What's the first known records of people sticking needles in other people? And how do you think they figured that shit out? Like the meridians and all that? It's too, it's too intelligent to have just been found by accident which, you know, in sort of like the Western acupuncture textbooks, they're like, someone noticed when they got pricked by prickers that their cough went away. And the system is way too logically based to have like been discovered by accident. I really think it's like, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But in a similar way that like the Mayan calendar was discovered, it's like people who were very connected to themselves, like, you know, higher levels of awareness and meditation and understanding about actually how a human body forms in utero, like really going back to the beginning and understanding how a body manifests itself, started to figure out that there's certain points of leverage and vortexes in this existence where when you stimulate them will change your physiology and change your experience of reality. And then, you know, I think the confusion is there's a big difference between the sacred medicine and the secular medicine and the sacred medicine is going to the pulse master and having him tell you all of your deepest darkest secrets so that your life takes on more meaning afterwards 
And then the secular medicine is, oh, when I have a cough, I put these points in or I take these herbs and it gets better. And so secular medicine is really this idea of differential diagnosis. When you do this, this changes. And sacred medicine is really this idea of direct diagnosis. I'm going to really take a look at your whole entire experience and consider it and then see how we can change it and optimize it so that you have a better experience and it's more efficient and it works more evenly. (laughs) That's awesome. Wow, that's a profound answer. There's a lot to unpack there, actually. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Now, you guys know I'm always talking about their medicinal mushroom elixirs because I take them all the time. I'm super addicted to them. But now they've got a couple other products that I'm really into. They've got a decaf coffee for when I don't feel like freaking out on caffeine. And then they have a regular coffee, but not just coffee. Both of them are infused with medicinal mushrooms. So it's a mushroom coffee. They're fantastic. They've also got some matcha drinks like the matcha with lion's mane. And the thing that's cool about about the Four Sigmatic drinks is they're totally organic. They're super powerful herbs and superfoods and mushrooms, but they're really easy to use. That's the issue I've had, like trying to be healthy and making myself some cool drinks is that it's kind of a pain in the ass and I have to open up all these different containers and it's a big project. Their products come in these little packets. You just pop them open. They're very portable. I take them on the plane. I take them on trips. I keep them in my bag, in my car. I kind of have them all over the house and I can just use them whenever I want. So Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies. If you want to check them out, I highly recommend that you do. To do that, you go to foursigmatic.com. And like all of my sponsors, they offer a sweet discount to the listeners. If you use the code LUKESTORY, you will save 15% off your order, which is a pretty good deal. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code LUKESTORY, and save 15%. Check it out. Going back to the beginning in that the origins are definitely unknown. And as you said, we weren't there. We don't really know. There's tradition that's been passed on. But I feel with a lot of these ancient technologies, uh, like some of the different yogic traditions come to mind. Mm -hmm. And it's like, especially in Kundalini yoga, where there's such a deep effect on your consciousness, like we were talking about before the recording, you really can take you out to some crazy places consciousness-wise, maybe to a fault even if you don't have a way to come and ground. But some of the stuff that we do in that practice is like so weird. (laughs) I literally sometimes think like the teacher's just fucking with us right now. Like or Yogi Bhajan who brought that practice here, like he must have just made this shit up and he's just like messing with Westerners, you know? Mm -hmm. But then you feel subjectively the profound effects of these kooky mantras and breathing exercises and kriyas and weird hand movements and stuff. And it changes, it changes you. And so I've always wondered, like, did these yogis or these Taoist masters just get downloaded from like universal consciousness? Like, Hey, I have an idea. Maybe if I put a needle here and do this and breathe this way and breathe that way, that it does this thing or did like, some beings from another planet come down and go, all right, you poor humans here, have the te- <laughs> right. technology, you know, because some of it is so powerful and, and it's so old that you really can't trace back yeah. the origins I of mean, it, you know? I've heard all the stories, you know, and it's like, did the aliens bring this technology? Well, aliens are angels, same difference, extraterrestrial beings. Right. And is that how the download comes? Like in order for their mind to rationally take in the information that they already know within it looked like an angel or an alien telling them maybe again, I wasn't there. And I think one of the things that happens in these practices, which are 
incredibly profound and can give people insight and solutions into dealing with, you know, real big social problems and life problems that people have wrestled with for, you know, since the beginning of humanity to say, oh, this is an alien download from another planet. It's like, I think it's too scary for people and it takes away from the authenticity of what is being delivered. But you also have to imagine that if we're a bunch of intelligent life forms on a life supporting planet in a solar system in the Milky Way and, you know, this galaxy inside of an infinitely large universe that we can't even imagine the vastness of the size, except we imagine we can imagine how big it is, that it has to be possible. Like if this is a life supporting planet, when our telescopes get powerful enough and our consciousness gets stable enough that we'll be able to see another infinite level of life supporting planets and other solar systems around the universe. It has to be possible. It's like, there's no way we're the only one. It would be a very naive and I think arrogant point of view to think that that's not possible. Right. I mean, you have an infinite number of <laughs> galaxies in this universe that are multiplying and expanding infinitely an mm -hmm. infinite i mean think about that infinite never ending right and number on an of infinite, dimensions right. i mean that's the thing here that's like i might be a little woo woo leaning but i mean dude right here in this room we have no idea the type of energies that are present and i mean like can you see the wi-fi in here no not with the naked eye i mean there are an infinite number of dimensions so mm -hmm. therefore entities and angels and all these things that sound really kooky to a rationally minded person um, are actually very plausible because our spectrum of awareness is so narrow. You know, mm -hmm. I think that whatever designed us gave us our five senses and limited us to that for the most part. I mean, some of us are clairvoyant and clairaudient and all this kind of stuff. But for the most part, like we're stuck in this pretty linear, physically, materially oriented awareness because it would be too overwhelming for us to be able to see past lives. And, you know, like that's why each lifetime is sort of its own little chapter because it's just too much to take in all at once. Just like if we could see all of the energies in this block right now, and I saw entities floating by the window when we're trying to have a conversation, it's just, it's too much stimuli mm -hmm. to have the human experience that we're meant to have. Right. So we're given this very narrow perspective and then given this dumbass intellect that's skeptical <laughs> about, you know, that thinks that is like arrogant enough to think we actually can see and understand everything that is going on right now. Right. You know, and it's like, I think that's the fun mystery of life is exploring some of these more esoteric ideas just as a practice of humility going like, hey, you know what? It sounds crazy, but I don't really know. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really know. And that's, that's where the mystery and curiosity of life sits for me. It's like, cool, let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, then there's another piece of it too, which is how does your own experience of reality keep getting more complex? Because from the moment you're born to the moment you die, every single breath you take, your experience of life becomes more complex because there's more information happening. You know, so from your first birthday to your second birthday is the same amount of relative experience as from your 20th birthday to your 40th birthday. And in that way, you know, how do we take in all of this information and learn how to chunk it and compress it so that we can make sense of all the complex things that are happening? You know, and what if, like, it looks like we're living our own human life, but we're only part of a smaller substructure of a much larger existence of humanity that has this mission that each individual isn't really aware of, but as a whole, we're getting there anyway, because there's this communal consciousness around it. <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> so terrible. then like the human lifespan, it's like, 
at the end of the day, like humanity might exist on this planet for another five or six billion years and, you know, or not like human experience from your first breath to your last breath, your life keeps getting more and more complex. And then our ability to really like stay dynamic and part of our whole experience of reality has to do with how well can we chunk all of that information into manageable bits so that we can utilize it in order to make good decisions based on what we're going to do next. And so that process of learning is like, how do we stay young? We keep learning how to handle this complexity of information in better and more efficient ways. And then in terms of like the human lifespan, you know, it seems like, well, I'm living my own human existence and I'm making decisions for myself because I want to be a good person or, you know, whatever other story I have about what I'm doing that's, you know, inconsequential. But maybe humanity itself is working towards some bigger process that it's completing that no individual can be aware of, but it's going to do, humanity's going to do that anyway. The collective consciousness is moving us in that direction. I like this sort of global thinking. I don't mean literally like the globe, but is that zoomed out perspective? Because mm -hmm. I think without that very broad perspective, it's so easy for us humans to get caught up in the melodrama of like the politics and the wars and this and that. And oh God, we got to save the world. Like the do-gooderism that's sort of born mm -hmm. out of like, the naivete of thinking that me as one person am responsible to save the world. And even beyond that, that who am I to say that the world needs saving or yeah, needs to be changed? I think that's the bigger one. Is like, <laughs> you, you know, if you were to take the totally Taoist perspective is like, hey, no problem. Everything's fine. This is how it is. Accept it. Like if you don't accept it and like you take on, it's an ego position to take on, how could it be this way? I mean, you know, this is happening and this is happening and these people are leading and these people are in charge. This is, this is wrong. And like, as soon as you choose that that's wrong, you're on the other side of how things are. Like, so in terms of a, a universe where coexistence is the key to really understanding, as soon as you say something is wrong, it means either it shouldn't exist, but more, it does exist. So you're not existing properly. You're not accepting it. Right, right. And so then there's like, it becomes <laughs> this good. like very clever switch of like, oh, were you talking to me about how I'm dealing with my health and feelings? Or are you talking to me about my spirituality and what I'm meant to be doing in my life? Right. And the answer is both. Because what's different? Even like this whole idea of like, oh, the body-mind connection. Like, you know, let's connect your mind to your body. Pay attention to how you're feeling. It's like, do you think you think with your brain? Like how you feel totally affects what you're going to be thinking. So if you're feeling good, you're going to have nice thoughts. If you're feeling bad, like your thoughts are going to be pretty negative. And so we create this whole story about what's right and what's wrong, but then our feeling changes and we can have a totally different experience. Yeah, I think for me, my entire spiritual practice and whatever form that takes at different times in my life, like really the sole purpose of it is to recontextualize reality. Nice. <laughs> not to change, well, cool. right. not to try to change reality because that's the root of my problem in my life has always been like, I'm wrong, you're wrong, she's wrong, he's wrong, <laughs> the fucking wrong. world's wrong, everyone's wrong. <laughs> you know, and then that, condemnation and that judgment inevitably is going to swing back around to me in the form of self-loathing and shame and all that. And that's really probably the root of it, why I'm projecting that out onto the world and thinking that everyone needs to do it differently. When from the surrendered path, it's like <laughs> mm, everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden reality is totally different. Like when I checked into this apartment, I selected this particular one because in the interior of the building, it was really quiet. And I grilled the lady that rented it to me on like, is it quiet? Is it face the inside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I check in. And as we were noticing earlier, 
the flat next door is totally under construction, like four <laughs> right. floors yeah. of it. And so I check in, I'm like, oh my God, this is beautiful. I can see the sun, there's trees, I'm watching the squirrels, the AC cranks, it's got really high ceilings and it's a beautiful apartment for many that I've seen in New York aren't this nice, you know? And then I'm sitting here like about to meditate and I hear, they start running the buzz saws. And it was like, okay, so am I going to fight that reality? It's like my fighting it and making them wrong and wanting to call the owners that you didn't tell me there was going to be construction and making this huge thing. Or can I just go, okay, fool, there's some reason that this is happening and it's giving me an opportunity to change my perception of it. Like, can I really just focus on all the things that I like about this place? Right. And then I have a totally different experience. And all of a sudden I'm really happy and I start looking at the beautiful lighting and there's a guitar here that's a guild acoustic. I think it's the exact goddamn model that I have at home. It's like someone brought my guitar for me. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. these magical things that are present if I step out of that zoomed in view of the way I think things are supposed to be. And then even in terms of the, and I want to ask you something about this too, because there's a conundrum within this that I haven't quite solved. But when you go from a more macro view at planet earth and our human experience here, there's so many things that are so easy to say, this is wrong. That's wrong. There shouldn't be suffering and famine and sex slaves and, you know, all of the horrendous, horrific things that we experience on the lower spectrum of human life. But if that contrast wasn't present, we would have no way to grow. See mm -hmm. what I mean? If we all came to earth and it was utopia and we're all singing fucking kumbaya <laughs> and drinking green juice and doing yoga and there is no war and there are no presidents that we don't like and all of this stuff that we deem as bad and that we need to change, then what would be the point of being here? It's almost like sending a PhD quantum physicist back to kindergarten you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like that idea. If everybody so, was okay, like who could we be more spiritual then? <laughs> right, right. Okay, so there's that, which is like, you know, sort of a non-attached way of interacting in the world. But then there's also the intention to have a positive impact on the world. So like, where does the acceptance and the surrender end? And then being somewhat proactively positive and contributing good and harmony and, and love to the world end. So it's sort of like I'm working with, well, how do I just cultivate it within me? And then that sort of has a ripple effect on anyone that I interact with, but I'm actually not out trying to be, you know, a cause for change because I don't think the world needs to change. I need to change. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, I guess I'm saying, how do you be yeah. surrendered, but still contribute in a meaningful and positive way to mankind? It's a really fair question. I think like for me, it's like, why did I become a healer? And you know, it's like the story I can tell myself is like, cause I want to be a good person and serve people. But it's like, uh, you know, mostly because I'm really insecure and I like, I don't want to look bad or, <laughs> you know, and then you can flip it the other way. It's like, if I'm driving in traffic and somebody cuts me off, it's much more useful for me just to be like, hey, fuck you. And then have that person say, fuck you back. And we both express our energy. And like, that was actually how that exchange happened. It was a, a sharp energy. And like, we both get to have an experience. That's it. Or like, I get cut off and it's like, nope, I'm going to hold this. I'm going to keep trying to make the world a better place. I'm not going to express this energy. I'm going to deny myself my own experience that I'm actually having, which is like, yeah, sex slavery is bad. Like, you know, tragedy is bad. Environmental destruction is bad. Like, why is it bad? Because when you look at it from like a macro perspective, like this doesn't really allow for life to happen as effectively as it could. And so how do we just like really allow those levels of expression? Like it's not so much about the morality. It's like to let things be the way they want to be so they can 
have the experience they were meant to have. And so, you know, these structures of power and in the health and wellness spectrum, I mean, you can see there's this, I'm definitely guilty of it, this hunger of like wanting to consume all the knowledge and all the best things to have the most intense and, you know, euphoric experience of reality. And like, I totally want that too. Like, I love being in altered states, whether it's through like meditation, acupuncture, or, you know, plant medicine, whatever it is to like create a different experience of reality. I love it because I love to experience that. And I love to be in the experience sharing that with other people. At the same time, like, does it need to change? It's like, it first needs to be accepted no matter what. And like, are you really going to change it? Or are you going to allow for it to change itself? If you asked your, your old and wise teacher, if you should go out and try and change the world, what would he say? No, he would say, that's totally ridiculous. It's fine the way it is. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, I don't know. That's just something I ponder. I think about this stuff a lot, you know, because it's not like I'm a fatalist by any stretch. I think I just, you know what? I look at mankind as sort of one living organism on this planet and that we're at a state, we're always in a continual flux in our stage of evolution as a species, right? And so even thinking about like saving the planet, and I love nature, dude. I mean, I love swimming in bodies of water. I love the sun. I love trees. I love forest bathing. I mean, I love- That's so weird. I love the planet and I don't fucking litter. I I mean, just, I just recycled, okay? She doesn't <laughs> have a recycling bin in this place. I carried my garbage outside. I went into the garbage with my bare hands and dug out my recycling shit and separated it. Like I do whatever I can to not have a negative impact. But at the same time, how can I be so arrogant to think that humans are supposed to last? Like, were the, right, exactly. you know, like were the dinosaurs supposed to be here still? Should I have gone back and tried to save the dinosaur? No, nature yeah. wanted the fucking dinosaur to go away. So perhaps we could be more prolific here. Well, maybe something else is supposed to come in in a couple billion years and take us out and all my recycling isn't going to fucking stop that <laughs> because a new dinosaur is going to emerge and evolve and, you know, go through its own evolution, right? So it's like, I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that I'm intellectually that on point to know what's good for us. So I just try to not have a negative impact on anyone if possible, including the planet. Yeah, you know. But then, then on the other hand, though, dude. Right. What if the people weren't fucking out there stopping the whaling ships? And like, what if there weren't those activists and stuff? I mean, I think... Then the whales would disappear and there wouldn't need to be any more whaling ships anyway. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. You can go around and around in this. And I think people that are more, you know, the protesters and the activists and all of that stuff. I mean, I appreciate that. It's just... I don't know. So what, what, if, what if everyone stopped all protesting and all activism? Where would the planet go if we just fucking went, all right, world, do your thing. I'm just going to take care of my own space and be the change that I want to see in the world. Like what would happen if they all stopped? Well, it just denies your participation in the bigger thing. So we're all in this together, whether we like each other or not. You know, and there's this other piece of, there's a couple things that, that I want to address, but now I'm forgetting. By them. the way, I had no fucking idea we were going to even go here. I was like, cool, yeah, let's talk about Chinese herbs. Right. What's better, reishi or chaga? Like, you know, yeah. so this is fun. Um, like for me, I have the story about meditating and it sort of sums it up because I've been struggling with this for a while. The same problem that you're bringing up. Do I like try and be a good person and not make waves or do I try and just, you know, be whoever I'm going to be? When I was 11, I got taught how to meditate. And when I was 14, I was like really depressed in high school and I just decided I was going to meditate every day. And so in high school, I was like a closeted meditator because in high school, you don't want to be different and weird. And then in college, I was like the kid that meditated because, you know, 
I thought it would get me laid more. (laughs) And then through my twenties, I was a yoga teacher. So like, definitely I was like pretty out there with meditating. And I had like some amazing experiences meditating, like sitting there and just knowing things that were going to happen that I had no business knowing, like just beautiful understanding and, and whatever. And, you know, and the truth was, is like, I hated meditating. I hated it. Like every time I'd sit down and meditate, and people would ask me like, Hey, you meditate. I hear it's a good thing for you to do. Why do you do it? I'd, I'd, I'd lie and say, it makes me feel good. But the truth was I hated it. I'd sit down and meditate and I just like, would feel like such a fraud. Like I just had no idea what I was meant to be doing, you know, and this continued all the way through my twenties. And like, you know, so my wife got pregnant when I was 33 and I just remember being like, I've meditated every day for like almost 20 years now. And I still hate it. I'm going to stop. And it was like, you know, and I was like, <laughs> that's funny. Totally. I don't think I've ever met anyone that was like, made a conscious decision to stop meditating. That's funny. Yeah, I was just like, this is really stupid. And I got really dramatic about it. Like totally dramatic about it. I was like, today is the last day I'm going to meditate for a while. You know, like, right. it was like, I was like really dramatic about it. And I knew I wasn't like going to just stop forever. I was just like, I'm going to give it a break. But it had been this continuous practice. So I built it all up you know, and I sat down and I was like, all right, it's the last day I'm going to meditate. And I sit there and I meditate and like, you know, what comes up the same shit that always comes up when I meditate, like how jealous I am, how insecure I am, how like much of a judgmental asshole I am and like how I'm just not the person I want to be. And for the first time, like I just, it was such a profound experience. I just accepted it. That's who I am. I am just that person. I need to deal with it. I was like, oh, now I'm meditating. Now I can do this. Now I love this. So now it's like the come up. Every time I sit down and meditate, like that same like judgmental, jealous asshole shows up, but I just like don't have a reaction to him anymore. And I think that that's really like, you know, there are a lot of real like social and structural problems in the world that need to be addressed. But until people accept themselves, like they're never going to accept anybody else. And until they accept that, yes, it sucks, but this is how it is. Like, it's very hard to make a change. And I think like in that way, it's like, do you want to make a profound difference and change? It's like, accept where you are. It's like, yeah, I'm a white man in a world that's like racist and, you know, homophobic and sexist and and everything else. Like I'm the perpetrator of all the violence. It's like, and I don't think it's good, but I have to accept who I am. Wow. Heavy, dude. So, so in the end, you still meditate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But, you know, I think that's a natural thing, man, because there's been various practices uh, for me that I've been really, really disciplined to continue with for many years. And then I don't know if I've ever consciously decided not to do something, but I've definitely phased out of them and then went through a period of feeling guilty for not doing it. Like there were many years where I read very specific spiritual literature every morning and it's just like what me and my people do. And if you didn't do that, you were fucking up, you know, and it was just instilled in me by, you know, various teachers that I had along the way. And then I just like, actually, when I really got into meditating with the current practice that I do, Vedic meditation, as soon as I started like having a trained discipline, not just like making up meditation on my own, but like a a method by which I was doing the practice, then my reading just stopped in the mornings. And I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm not like doing my reading. (laughs) I was like, I felt shamed. I was like, guilty about not doing the reading and i still to this day like don't really all the time do my spiritual reading in the morning i'm just i honestly just don't feel like it and now i'm doing other shit and then there'll probably come a time when like maybe vedic meditation doesn't serve me and i move on to something else for a while but i was interviewing um 
Emily Fletcher last night, who's the founder of a place called Ziva Meditation and that is in now in Soho, which I didn't know when I went to head from the Upper East Side there. I thought she was in Midtown. I was like super late. It was a disaster. <laughs> but because she's a meditator, she was like chill. She's like, okay, you're, no, it was you're super late, but I'm going to roll with it. And we had a great time. But I interviewed her another time and she said something that really stuck with me. She said, Luke, you know what? I value my meditation so much that there is literally, and I'm not even kidding, there is no amount of money you could give me to pay me to stop meditating. Like it's just invaluable. And that's what it's become for me. I'm like, dude, if I was, you know, in prison somewhere in a POW camp and they took away my meditation, I mean, that's like really one of my most prized parts of my human experience. You know, it's like, I fucking love meditating so much. I crave it. Like I did it this morning, like every morning, I'm just like, I can't wait to meditate. I'm meditating right now. But it might, you know, (laughs) might not. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. The contemplative sort of meditation, the living witness meditation. But, you know, these things come in phases too. It's just like I've been into Kundalini yoga for years and I'm like, I always wonder, hmm, I wonder if one of these days I'm going to be like, nah, I'm good. Probably will. Who knows? You know, Mm -hmm. but as long as I feel the pull, I just keep doing it. Next, I want to ask you, that was a totally rad detour that we just took here, um, which was... All right. We were supposed to be talking about acupuncture. No, it's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome though, because that's like I told you before we started, I have notes and stuff like that, but... Sometimes like I just actually shut the computer and don't even talk about any of that shit because we just go down a thread. But I did promise the listeners and um, and myself, because it's something I haven't covered, yes, is the acupuncture. I think we touched on the basic idea of it, you know, and then given allotted time. But the other thing that you're really into is this stuff called Qigong. Mm-hmm. And that's something like you know, I think from taking a few Wim Hof trainings, you know, he has a couple little moves that he teaches you. and He's got some good ones. You know, it's, it's I kind of get just the very basic idea of moving energy around and kind of creating this fluidity in your body. But other than that, like I'm totally clueless. So what the hell is Qigong and what does it do to you? Qigong, it's like when my teacher describes it and he's funny because he's Korean, but he speaks perfect English, but with an accent, he just calls it like, you know, hardcore yoga. And essentially, if your body's designed a certain way and you want to create more functionality in your body another way, if you hold certain shapes that are difficult for your body to hold, your brain has to do the work to occupy your body. So your brain's occupying your body, holding these difficult shapes. And as a result, your nervous system starts to develop around that shape. So you're tempering your body for certain specific types of functionality. And like, you know, there's some sort of like the chicken and the egg argument. Did Qigong precede martial arts or did martial arts precede the Qigong? Like, you know, were these people trying to adapt their body to be better fighters and better things. And, and I don't think it really matters except the Qigong is the practice that I stick to. And like martial arts, I like it. I'm always like, you know, I want to be a badass fighter, but like in terms of like, what's a practice that before even meditation, like Qigong is a practice that you couldn't pay me enough not to do. Really? So it has and, that kind of value for you. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, nothing gets me in my body and focus faster than being in some of these postures. You just reminded me of something, dude. And I just Googled it to remember that. Are you familiar with a guy named uh, Tai Ching? No. This cat right here? Oh, no. He does Tai Chi, not Qi Gong. Is it? Oh, totally oh yeah. Different. Tai Chi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Something yeah. Qi. I just remembered that years ago when I was a stylist, I did like workout videos for P90X and stuff. Oh, nice. And for Beachbody. And one of them was 
Tai Chi, but I had it confused. I was like, whoa, I have seen it. But when I looked at Tai Chi, because I had to sit there for fucking hours when you're on set. I mean, it's like there's 20 takes of each move. And they did something interesting when they were, because it's very slow. And then when they would show us sped up, and even then he would do some sped up versions of some of his little moves and shit. And it was like badass karate or martial arts. Totally. You know? So it was kind of like, I was like, oh, this is like slow motion. And then at a certain point, I guess when you get up to some level of badassery, then like it does kind of become more of a martial art where you could like jack up a mugger or something. But anyway, I digress. I had the wrong practice. So it's actually, they're both similar practices and both of them are practices to imitate how your body assimilates and distributes energy when it takes an impact. So it's not totally off. Like Tai Chi is these watery flowy movements based around like keeping your body upright. I'm, you know, and by the way, there's like a million different styles of Qigong and Tai Chi, which also creates a lot of confusion. Like the style of Qigong that I practice, I got from my teacher and it's, he learned it from a Korean Taoist master who was, you know, part of a sword fighting school. So they're really like, you know, how do you balance on bricks and stand and really just develop your internal strength? And it's like, you know, this form of Qigong, it's like super insane and difficult. Like, you know, holding three minutes of a posture is like a real achievement. Whereas there's some Qigong postures where people practice holding posts and those ones you can hold them for half an hour. And that's like, you develop all sorts of awareness and integrity. And, you know, for my acupuncture practice, it's like being able to hold these poses just creates more awareness in my fingertips, more awareness in like how I'm holding and sitting with energy in order to just manipulate people on a more subtle level. It's like the difference between like, you know, a good salad and a great salad might be just like a tiny bit of salad dressing, but it's like, how do you hit that subtlety every single time so that you just know it? And, and what does Qigong look like? How can someone visualize it? You mentioned like holding the, the tree, uh, yeah, like with your like hands the, in a circle. It just looks like you're hugging yourself. No, um, like the most classic Qigong posture is called the horse stance. And like, there's so many different styles of it, but it basically looks like you're riding on a horse without actually being on a horse. Uh, okay. And He's demonstrating right uh, now, guys. So, you know, and you can put some pictures. I've got some yeah. pictures of it somewhere that if you want. So in comparison to Tai Chi, Tai Chi like involves more of these sort of fluid movements. And like mm. I said, they're almost like slow down karate moves. Whereas this is like more about, generally speaking more about holding or is it really just depend on the tradition depends on the tradition but to generalize on it really like tai chi is more like a learning a kata or series of moves of like how one thing will turn into another thing right and qigong more looks like you know hatha poses almost like this pose is for these types of strength like strengthening these types of things and this pose is for this so it's not like such a fixed sequential thing even though obviously you want to do things together in order to balance it out got it so you mentioned the word integrity that physical integrity it reminded me because it's so fresh on my mind this morning i did a private class with one of my past guests abby galvin from this thing is called the studio and she teaches katona yoga and mm-hmm. that was dude my last trip here in new york i just uh, was recommended that by a listener and i went in there and took one class with her and i was like i need to interview her like she's on some next level <laughs> right. and i took another class and i interviewed her right after the class and it was it's a really popular episode it's been out just i think a couple weeks or something and i really loved her whole philosophy so today i went in this morning as i was telling you and had a private with her for an hour it was incredible having that like assistance and holding structure. And just when I think I'm like upright and straight in my spine and my shoulders are back, like if you tell me to be at right angles and really hold that structure, 
then she would come adjust me and be like, dude, you're not even close to, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? She's like, because obviously you can't see yourself, but it's really interesting just from a few classes with her, and I'm sure this one's going to be exponentially so, is that my structural integrity like has a memory now. And so yeah. I just, I can't even sit here as we record slump. I would totally love to just slump over right now because it just feels so much more comfortable. But it's like, I have that memory now that's like, oh no, I'm actually supposed to be like this in order to hold the space that I like to have the feeling of holding, you know? Right. So I, I kind of get the correlation in that where you're working with the tendons and ligaments and muscles and having them adapt to that skeletal structure that has integrity would that be a parallel principle there to a degree yeah and the plot thickens because okay. abby and i studied with the same teacher from from a long time ago so in terms of katona yoga and the idea of doing yoga not just to do a pose inside but to do a pose properly to put the right angles in it to do it with real integrity so not just doing it how you feel but doing it so that it measures up against the grid and it's repeatable every single time that is the basis of how i came to all of this stuff it's like a very pragmatic way of doing it and you know for me if i hadn't become an acupuncturist i probably would have been an engineer so i'm you know very much into like causality and seeing how th one thing leads to another but um yeah, definitely. I think my attraction to Qigong was that it had this element of a practice I'd already done for a long time. In interesting, it. interesting. You know, and the thing that I find so interesting about that too is that it doesn't take much to get a body to evolve. Like you've been sitting in a slouch your whole life and someone actually just puts their hand where you're not aware. As soon as you're aware of it, you can't not be aware of it anymore. It's like reading. Do you remember what it was like to look at letters and not know what they meant? Right, you know, right. Form phonemes out of it. It's like, right. can you be in your body in the inefficient way that you were doing it before when you can have this more efficient way of sitting and breathing and, yeah. and being? Yeah, especially when you feel the limitation of your lungs. That was the big thing I noticed today. She's like, yeah, you don't have any access to your lungs because you're slumped <laughs> over. You're, you know, you're all self-conscious. Like, wait, I don't wait. Where <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought I was doing some like deep breathing because it's quite uncomfortable. I think the parallel maybe that sparked my correlation there was that you really like in the Katona yoga, especially with her working one-on-one, -on -one, she gets you in this thing. You're all strapped in. There's blocks, <laughs> there's sandbags. You're fucking twisted around some chair. And then you just chill there for a while, you know? It's like you're not holding the pose because you're being held because you're getting assistance to keep the structure in alignment. But it was like, it's actually pretty hard to maintain something that from afar, you're like, you're not even doing anything. That's got to be easy. Right. So it sounds like Qigong has a yeah. similarity. It's like in it, it does. It doesn't look like much is happening, but it's neurologically totally exhausting. And, and as a result, like empties out your brain really quickly. So you know, in that sense, exercise being like exorcism, like all the stress you're carrying around when you do those difficult things that make you think in ways that you don't normally think, those are the best kinds of exercises. Right. So how often are you doing Qigong in your private life currently in these days? I do like 10 minutes every morning. Not a lot, but cool. I always hit that 10 minutes and then yeah. it keeps me pretty healthy. Yeah. Awesome. And then one thing I wanted to touch on too was in traditional Chinese medicine, there's two funny things that a practitioner will do when you go to see them to get like a diagnosis. And one is they have you stick out your tongue. You know, I always get like, oh boy, oh wow, ooh, well, you know, they're like super freak me out. And then the other is your pulse. Mm -hmm. And the practitioners that I've been to over the course of my life, which have been quite a few, you know, they're like, okay. And then they go onto their shelf and they have these buckets of like bulk herbs and then they make you a little 
paper like lunch sack of herbs and tell you to boil it and drink this many cups a day. And I like that. I think is when I was a kid, I grew up in the Bay area and my mom used to take me to Chinatown. And I love the smell of the herbs yeah. and the big jars of giant ginseng roots and stuff like that. Like I've always just thought that was cool, but what's up with the pulse reading and things like that? Like you mentioned, the masters can tell you about childhood trauma and like go even deeper than just, Oh, you have yeast or some shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, it takes a pretty good person to be able to really clearly see if you have yeast or something like that, too, even. But pulse diagnosis in Tibetan Buddhism is considered like the highest level of attainment in terms of really like a meditation practice. And pulse diagnosis, like, you know, to explain the mechanics of it and why it works and why it's so fascinating is, you know, again, back to the beginning, your body is a series of tubes, fluid-filled tubes that are all connected to each other. So anything that happens anywhere inside of the sac of your body, this fluid sac of your body, any sort of friction, any sort of like resonance that's happening, what happens in one place, you can hear it every place because the pressure of all that fluid touching itself transmits that frequency really well. Wow. And then so in pulse diagnosis, basically, you know, there's a lot of like, first of all, like the first, the way you learn how to do pulse diagnosis before you can really even see anything is you have to like error correct for feeling your own pulse in your fingertips. Because, you know, obviously oh, right, the person right. doing the diagnosing has right. a pulse too. Right. So you could be getting like a double signal in a sense. Right. And so you have to error correct for your own pulse, which, you know, takes a little bit of time because, you know, some people just have a hard time putting their awareness in their fingertips even. And then, so then you're feeling, you know, generally we feel a patient's radial pulse on their wrist. And in that pulse, we're making a calculation, like in that place, it's an echo of every other place in your whole body. And based on the length of certain wavelengths, the altitude and the longitude and the depth, we can make calculations as to where things are happening in the body and then calculate what exactly is happening in those places. So when you're like visualizing the pulse wave moving under the fingertips, it's a sine curve moving under the fingertips. And so essentially it's really a lot like calculus and differentiating differentiating what's happening in the slope. If the slope's moving too steep, it means heat's moving from one place to another really quickly. And then on that slope, if there's a texture inside of the waveform, it can tell you, you know, is it secreting hormone, right? Is this organ in this place secreting a hormone? Is it porous? Is it dense? Is the tissue opening or closing? Is it cold or hot? You know, is there like a foreign body there, like virus or bacteria or fungus or, you know, spirochetes are a big thing these days. Can you calculate like how is nutrition moving through the body? Did they just eat something that's making them feel comfortable and like letting their blood start to flow better? And is it relaxing or is it causing inflammation and taxing their blood sugar? And so all of that you can determine by really consciously looking at how is the body handling every bit of stimulus it's dealing with right now. Damn, that's a trip, dude. How long have you been working with that? 10 years. Wow. Is your teacher like super badass? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, he's, as far as I know, Take he's your the best in the world. Like, you angry at mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that like level of, of precision, he, yeah. you know, like it's like he can calculate like, oh, you know what? They'll like, he has, you know, patients on pretty specific diet protocols. Like he can pull out like, oh, you didn't know you're not not eating carbohydrates, you ate, you know, pizza and a Coke yesterday. It's like, you know, the echo of the caffeine and the fat from the cheese and like everything's already in the, wow, dude. embedded in it. Wow. That's crazy. And then like, you know, for me, I'm pretty good at seeing like, okay, this is what's happening now. Like he can pull things that happened like, you know, at the beginning of life, like 20 years ago, 
and still hear like sense something that happened. I mean, wow, that's fascinating, dude. Which then like it's yeah, it just seems supernatural. Wow. That is awesome. I love that. And then what about the tongue thing? We don't really look you at tongues. It's kind of gross. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> I have an office in Manhattan, like everybody, like, you know, it's like, what's the new thing is matcha latte. I like, there's this place down the street from me and there's these great matcha lattes, but it's like everybody's sticking out their tongue and it's green. And I'm like, whoa, you got the fuzz. Like, it's kind of, <laughs> That's funny, dude. Yeah. I always think like with the tongue thing, when I've been to uh, see a practitioner, it's like violating for some reason. I'm like, I don't want it. Like sticking well, out your mean, tongue like, and having it, someone look in your yeah, mouth. It's kind I mean, of weird. Well, I never really like it. If you think about it, it's kind of like, it's the inside. It's, you right. Know, right. It's, it's personal. Yeah. So you're more into the pulse thing. Okay, cool. That's really interesting. So as we come to a close here, unfortunately, we have to do that because there's two more recordings I'm doing. Oh, you today. got a big day today. Oh man, I don't know why I do it to myself, but it's for the people, man. It's for you, listener. <laughs> yeah, keep it up. Uh, so, well, I want to. Yeah, what are your real feelings about it, though? <laughs> no, get about now, dude. You know what? It's actually so fun. Uh, it's exhilarating and exhausting because yeah, the people that I get to meet, it's crazy that the time I get with the people that I get time with that I would either have to pay or would be unavailable. But when you have a podcast and some people listen to it, which thankfully they do more and more on mine, it's like people are willing to sit down and share what they know. And so I'm just like a sponge for information. I just literally like yesterday I learned, I had so many profound experiences with my three guests. I learned so much. I mean, it was like being in a freaking seminar for me subjectively and same thing today you're my first one then there's two more awesome great ones coming so no i love it now it's just the thing that's challenging is like then comes like you know putting all the notes in the computer and doing the intros and the outros and like yeah. oh god that part is just the one thing i wish i could outsource conversations yeah, are right, amazing yeah. i want to just like upload the file and be like cool there's an episode but there's like a series of other things that come along with it but you know such is life so last question is who have been three teachers or teachings that have profoundly affected you in your life that you might be able to recommend our listeners go check out for themselves? Oh, that's easy. Naveen Mishan and Katona Yoga, where Abby is. Thomas Jones at Paradox Process. And then uh, third one, my teacher, he's really hard to get in touch with. Um, you can't find him online anywhere. So I'll stick with those two for now. And then hold it because I do want to bring my teacher's teachings forward and I'm, I'm working on cool on releasing some of that. Stuff. Awesome, dude. Great. Thank you for that. You answered faster than almost any guest. Usually people are like, whoa, uh, oh man, they get like really flustered. You just fired them off. That's great, dude. So I I'm appreciate glad that. I didn't have a fourth teacher. <laughs> right, right. And then lastly, where can we find you? Give out any URLs, websites, social media, anything you'd like to promote so people can find your work. Uh, yeah, so for work, my website is easternscholars.com. And I think I have a Facebook page. I will by the cool. end of today. Awesome. Well, and, we'll put uh, it in the show notes and people can easily look you up. That'd be awesome. All right. Thanks for joining me, dude. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Okay, everyone who now wants to go get some acupuncture, take some Chinese herbs, do a little qigong, and just get all 
East meets West up in this piece, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand if you're driving. It could be problematic. I think everyone's probably kind of interested in the stuff that Chris was talking about at this point, right? I know when I did this interview, I was like, wait, I want a master to teach me all of the ancient ways, all of the secrets of the universe. What an interesting story Chris has. Very cool guy. We really hit it off. Uh, He's just such a knowledgeable yet humble person. I really enjoyed not only having that conversation, but of course, sharing that conversation with you. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. You can text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. If you want to go online, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. As I said earlier, give a follow over at uh, the old Instagram. I think you'll enjoy what I have to offer over there. Not just the photos, you know, the pretty retouch shit. I'm talking about the back end, yo, the stories, the Instagram lives. In fact, when I recorded this very episode with Chris, I broadcast the whole thing, the good, the bad, and the ugly behind the scenes on my Instagram, on Instagram live. And I do that for almost every single episode. So you might just be out and about wanting to play hooky from work or school and escape a little bit, uh, go into my Instagram and be like, oh, word, Luke's got a live going on. You see that little red, that little arrow, that little play button situation going on. And you might just find yourself uh, watching, you know, the real deal behind the scenes, raw episodes in the works. And you get to see kind of how I have my notes and all the mistakes I made. And when the gardener comes in the middle of a goddamn recording and I freak out and everything that happens that you don't get to hear in the polished, finished product that you're listening to right now. So that's over at Instagram at Luke Story. Let's thank our fabulous sponsors without whom this show nor any show of the Lifestylist podcast would be possible. First up is Longevity Power. Man, Christian Bates, old school homie of mine. These guys make really powerful and not only powerful, but delicious herbs. And they have numerous health benefits. Chris is always like, dude, talk about the benefits. I'm like, wait, doesn't everyone know the benefits of goji berries, maca, reishi? Uh, What does he got? Pearl powder. He has just about every uh, Chinese herb, Ayurvedic herb, but not like in small doses. I mean, like you can take tablespoons of that stuff if you want to, if you want to go hardcore like me. But his stuff is really powerful. It's it's the type of um, herbalism approach where you actually feel it. You're not like, oh, I don't know. Did it do anything? Dude, if you take like a teaspoon of his really dark chronic reishi powder before you go to bed, you're going to sleep like a beast. So there you go, Chris. If you're listening to this, there's one positive benefit of one of the products. But no, seriously, uh, his stuff really works and it's very economic because it comes in bulk in these big ass jars. So it lasts quite a while definitely worth the investment. So if you go over to longevitypower.com, throw some junk in your cart and enter the code lifestylist, you will save 5%, which doesn't sound like a huge percentage, but it can add up. You throw three or four things in your cart over at Longevity Power, you're talking about, you know, it could be over 100, 150 bucks or something. So that 5% adds up. Then our old pals, the OGs over at Organifi.com. You know I love their green powder, their gold, their red powder. I like pills and powders, baby. What can I say? You know, I used to be, uh, well, you know, you've heard the story before. I have not changed. I just take healthy powders now. But seriously, go over to Organifi.com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi with an I. Use the code Lifestylist and save 20% over there. Then we've got Forsigmatic.com. And uh, you can go to Forsigmatic. Actually, no, it's Forsigmatic.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code Lifestylist. Save 15% over there. And Forsigmatic, let me give you a couple recommendations. Um, I would try their Chaga powder, the little powder packets. You can put that chaga in your coffee and make it actually more alkaline, add a bunch of 
immunity boosting properties and uh, and just chill out kind of the buzz of coffee. And then uh, also at Four Sigmatic, I really like their little powdered coffee and mushroom blends. It's like the dopest, probably the only healthy instant coffee on the market is over at Four Sigmatic and they come in little travel packs. So I'll take those like on the airplane, on the road. I'll just pour it in a, like a bottle of water and shake it up and have like a really nice sort of iced coffee. And you can always, you know, obviously heat it up. Sometimes actually, you know what I do if I want an extra boost to one of my morning elixirs, it might even be a coffee, like a bulletproof coffee or something. I'll actually add a couple packets of the Four Sigmatic uh, you know, ground instant coffee just to get the mushroom powered coffee in there as well. So I might recommend that over at Four Sigmatic. So there you go. And just know, not only are you supporting your own health when you support our sponsors, but these guys will keep buying ads on this damn show, which keeps the doors open here at the Lifestylist Podcast. So it's good for the brands, it's good for you, and it's good for the show, which is good for me. So keep it real with our lovely sponsors over there. And uh, as always, I encourage you to share this show and any other to follow with someone you know and love. Thank you so, 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 so much for tuning in. And I will catch you on next week's episode. I will catch, and I'll catch you, and I'll catch you next week with the millennial biohacker, Matt Maruka. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net. Hey, are you a musician who listens to this show? Well, listen up, all right? Put those musician ears on blast for a second. I've got an announcement for you. I recently ran into a listener to the show at an event, and she said, wow, I love the show. It's amazing. It's perfect. I said, thank you so much. But as always, I asked the question, what can I do to improve it? And she said, well, you know, to be honest, I'm getting a little tired of your theme song reoccurring throughout the show every single episode. And I said, you know what? I love that song, but I am too. So I'm going to go ahead and seek out some new music. I'm going to record some myself. I'm going to hit up some of my friends, but I'd really like to have a plethora of new music that I can rotate in and out of the show. So if you'd like to have your music featured on the Lifestylist podcast, go ahead and shoot me an email to info at lukestory.com with a link to some of your songs. And if I think that'd be a good fit, I'll answer your email and we'll see what we can do. And just to be clear, I am looking for royalty-free music. You know, if I could afford to put some stones on the show, I would do that, but I do not have a budget for commercial music. So if you'd like to promote your music and it's a good fit for the show, again, send an email with a link to info at lukestory.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.